That's good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So many of you, uh, many of you know Warren and Sarah Grace. In fact, Sarah Grace was just helping lead us in worship. Thank you. We deeply appreciate that. A number of uh, months ago, uh, we introduced you to Warren and Sarah Grace. They work with our partners at Northwest Collegiate Ministries uh, on the U of O campus, and we're so thankful for them. One of the things we've been doing is we've made our way through the book of Daniel as we've talked openly about the fact that, that Daniel could easily, though, but we could easily title the series, uh, in some sense, How to Share Your Faith Without Being a Jerk. Um, I mean that as lovingly as I know, uh, but sometimes the way we go about sharing our faith with our friends and our neighbors and those in our lives doesn't always come across the right way. And quite honestly, for some of us, Sharing our faith feels a little threatening or overwhelming or, or something we'll just leave to the paid professionals, if you will, because we're not quite sure what and how and those kind of things. So what I've done is I've asked Warren to come today and share with us a bit about how practically to think about sharing your faith. So Warren and Sarah Grace, thank you. We love you guys. Uh, Warren and Sarah Grace have joined Harvest. They're members here. We're thankful for them. And uh, Warren, you come and, and share, man. We are excited. All right. Bring it, brother. Mm-hmm. Come on. In the back can hear me. Is this good? Can everybody hear me? Awesome. Well, I want to start out by saying I don't want this to feel like a typical sermon. I want to be talking directly to you, but more having conversation with you. Um, and so if it was up to me, uh, if I didn't have to stay up here to be centered on the camera, I'd probably be down here where Brian was before getting like personal with you guys, right? Uh, but for now, uh, I want you to know this is an open conversation, right? I want you to think of this more as uh, like a workshop than more of a sermon, right? Um, because in sharing your faith effectively, this isn't something that I can just teach you from here. This is something that we have to talk about together as a church, right? Um, so how to share your faith effectively, right? That's the question. Uh, because I think we all have a desire to share our faith. And I think we all, if we're going to go through the effort of sharing our faith, want it to be effective. We want it to work, right? Um, and so that's kind of what we want to talk about here today. Um, I'm by no means an expert in this, right? Uh, I'm not uh, going to say that I'm somewhat special or that I have a special ability to share my faith more effectively. Uh, I just maybe have a little bit more practice because I do this every day with college students. And so this is just some insight and some sharing on what I have seen coming from that. Uh, so the first thing I want to do is I want to read from Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 13 and 15. Uh, it is up here on the top of your bulletin, or if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open to that. Uh, but let's go ahead and read that first. It says, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are, how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right? Okay, so what Paul is doing here, because Paul wrote the book of Romans, so what Paul is doing here, he's working back as far as he can with how the gospel is presented, right? He starts out with, okay, so we want someone to believe, but if we want them to believe, what's, what's that next step? Anybody? Hear, right? So in order to believe, you first have to hear. But in order for this person to hear, what has to happen before? Right, somebody has to tell them, and and how, what, what happens before somebody tells them? They're sent, right? You have somebody who's sent, right? And so you have these two people, right? The person who is hearing and believing and the person who is preaching and the person who's sent, right? Like these two different people are, are involved in this process, right? But you also have the sender, you have God. And so really in this part right here, there's three people. There's the receiver, there's the one being sent, and there's the sender, right? I want to talk with you guys about what it means to be that middle person, right? The one who is sent. Because ultimately, I think that applies to all of us as Christians, right? The word Christian means little Christ, right? We are supposed to be ambassadors of Jesus. We're supposed to bear his image and represent him to the world, right? And so how do we do that in, a, in an effective way that accurately portrays this message of being sent, right? And so that's what I want to talk about with everyone here today. Um, the one thing I want you to take away, the one thing I want you to take home personally, 
as Jesus has placed me. And I, I put that me right there, not to refer to, to me up here, but I want every one of you to say that, like me, right? Uh, Jesus strategically placed me to preach his gospel and reach the world, right? Because if all of us work together, we can each reach people that I could never reach, right? Um, and so actually, I think this is so important. I think we should all say this together, right? So on the count of three, I want everybody to repeat this, right? And really put emphasis on the me because I want you to believe it. In fact, when you get to the me part, I want you to go ahead and say your name, right? And so let's read this out together, right? Jesus has strategically placed Warren to preach his gospel and reach the world. I think that's so important that you take this not as something that's just up on the screen or something that I'm saying, but you say it personally. Like this is something... Jesus has strategically placed Warren to preach his gospel and reach the world. Because this is something I want you to take away, right? Um, so first of all, uh, I want to start out with that reach the world part, right? Because realistically, if it was just one person, if it was just me doing this, I could never reach the world. I'm going to live maybe 70 years. And in those 70 years, I'm going to have different interactions in different places that I live. But I guarantee and I promise you that if I dedicate my entire life to only meeting someone once, sharing the gospel, moving on, I realistically don't think I could reach every single person in the world, right? I think no matter how skilled I was, no matter how many airplane tickets I bought, I very genuinely doubt I would be able to walk up to every single person in the world with a big checklist and share the gospel with every single person, right? But that's the beautiful thing is the body of Christ isn't one person. The body of Christ is everybody together, and we're all a part of it, right? And so Rachel over here might have friends, might have places that she can go where I can't, right? I work on the college campus, and so I can reach college students that Rachel can't reach. But Rachel, where, where do you work, Rachel? Here? Okay. So she leads worship, right? Um, <laughs> well, she has, she has kids, and the kids go to school. And so I don't know if maybe you have uh, – your kids have friends, and those friends have parents, right? And so you talk with the parents, you hang out with the parents while your kids play together. And so that those parents are friends that I could never reach because they're not in my circle. They're not in my – in my field, but Rachel is there, and so she can reach them. Um, and so I could say that about each and every single one of you. You have a unique place that God has put you to be reaching out. Um, but before we talk about the gospel and before we talk about um, how do we reach the world, I want to talk about something called pre-evangelism, right? Um, and what I'm sharing here isn't evangelism itself, right? Because I think evangelism is preaching the gospel, and the gospel is Christ crucified and resurrected, right? And so this isn't what we're going to talk about here, the, you, you see this on your little bulletin, the five thresholds. This isn't the gospel. This isn't evangelism. But it's a good way of approaching the gospel. And it's a good way of approaching evangelism, this concept of pre-evangelism, right? Um, because you don't just walk up to someone and present the gospel and right there, boom, they believe, right? <laughs> normally it takes a little bit of, of relationship and normally it takes a little bit of work. And so um, this is kind of walking through that. Um, so why don't we go ahead and flip to John chapter 4. Uh, to see a place where I think there's a good example of Jesus doing this concept of pre-evangelism. Um, and I will say, so this five thresholds idea comes from these two guys, and their name escapes me right now, but they wrote a book called I Once Was Lost. Um, and so basically, they took a survey of over 2,000 new believers, and they asked them, okay, well, what was, what was it like when you came to know Christ? What was that process like? What kind of steps did you go through? Um, and these are kind of the steps that they found uh, people went through when they were seeking to follow Christ, right? And so this isn't an exact science. Um, some people you meet are not going to go through all five steps. Some people are going to maybe start on step three. Some people are going to go one, two, four, five. Some people are going to go one, three, five, maybe. I, I don't know. And so this isn't an exact science, but what I'm trying to communicate is that these are good things to be aware of um, and how to listen well and love your neighbor well. Um, and so to see how Jesus kind of does this pre-evangelism, uh, let's go ahead and read uh, John chapter 4. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, Je uh, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass, pass through Samaria. So pause right there real quick. Does anybody know why it's important that Jesus is passing through Samaria? What is Samaria? Why is this important? Well, this is a conversation. I, I want to keep this, not me preaching, I want to keep this open conversation. So does anybody know why Samaria was important? 
They're not Jewish, right? They're not Jewish, and, and there's this big rivalry, a big hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews because the Jews consider themselves, we're the pure people of God, we're, we're, we remain pure to our customs, and the Samaritans, I don't know if you guys know this, but they were a mix between the, the Jewish people and the people around them, and so the pure-blooded Jewish people of Jesus' day viewed them as kind of this, oh, you're only half-blood, you're like, you're like the different race that, that has a lot of enmity, right? There's a lot of bitterness right there. And so for Jesus even to be in Samaria is a big deal. And we'll see why this is important in a second. But I want you to be aware there's a lot of, of racial conflict going on between the, the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And Jesus, of course, is a Jewish person. So what Jesus does here is even more incredible considering there's a racial barrier being crossed here. But keep that in mind. Okay. So he had to pass through Samaria, verse 5. And he came to a town in Samaria called Shikar. Uh, Brian, you can correct me if I pronounce that wrong. I'm trying my best here. Uh, but near a field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. That's Jacob and Joseph, you know, Joseph of many colors, right? We, we all know of him. Uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. Now, pause right there really quickly. Sixth hour in, in Jewish timetable is about noon. It's not 6 a.m. That's not 6 p.m. This is like the heat of the day, right? This is like when the sun is the hottest. So he's sitting there at noon. And a woman from Samaria came for water. And Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy him food. Okay, so pause right there. What does Jesus do? You've got the Samaritan woman, which first of all, she is Samaritan, right? So she, Jesus shouldn't even be talking to her because she's a Samaritan. But on top of that, she's a woman and he is a man, right? He's in this position of authority talking to somebody less than him, right? And what does he do to to first approach this woman. Yeah, he asked her for something that she can offer him, right? She's already drawing water. She's already doing a task, and he asks her for water, right? Um, and I, I think this really highlights that this first threshold right here. Um, I don't know if we can pull it up, but this first threshold of moving from distrust to a place of trust, right? Um, because a lot of people, when you approach them and say, oh, I'm a Christian, They're, they have a lot of baggage. They have a lot of presuppositions, a lot of stereotypes of like, well, Christians are very hateful people. Christians are very mean. Christians are know-it-alls, right? And so before they can even learn to trust Christ, they have to learn to trust Christians, right? It kind of goes back to what Paul was saying about tripping on this cord. It kind of goes back to what Paul was saying, right? How can they believe in him whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone being sent? How can this someone, be, uh, how can this someone preach unless they're sent, right? How can someone believe the messenger or how can someone believe the message of the one sending if they don't even believe the messenger right and so what jesus does in this first place is he helps her move across this threshold which i don't think i mentioned this the reason i call them thresholds is because they're places you have to move through before you can hit the next step right they're barriers you need to cross before you cross into the kingdom right and so this first one is distrust of christians or distrust of the church to trusting christians and trusting the church uh, we do that by loving it out. We do that by reaching out and loving well in, in a way that makes people think, wow, maybe I had a wrong supposition. Maybe, maybe I was thinking about Christians and stereotyping them in the wrong way. I um, mean, so Jesus does this by talking to this woman and, and asking her for help. He's humbling himself and saying, hey, can you help me, right? He's putting himself at a level where she can relate to him and she can actually do something for him, which is incredible, right? Um, but what are some ways that you think that maybe you can help somebody move from distrust to trust. There's no wrong answers here. I just would like maybe two or three people to talk about, uh, maybe share a time that you've helped somebody move from distrust to trust or a way that you've seen Harvest do that or just anything. I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. You can't love well if you're by yourself, if you're just hiding in your house. I love that hiding in your house. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to, to love somebody if you don't spend time with them, right? Um, and, and I love that you said meeting their needs, right? Because I think a lot of times we think of love as just being this feeling. But in the Bible, love always has some sort of action associated with it. And so I think that's really good.
Yeah, and, and not only do we spend time in Mimi's, but we do it consistently, and we partner with Monroe, and, and we do it in a way that's actually needed and in a way that makes an impact, and so I love that. And so I want you guys to know that this isn't something that is just restricted to what I have to do or what you have to do, but in fact, our entire church is doing it together. I want you to find that encouraging. Okay, so Jesus asked for, uh, for a favor. Jesus uh, breaks this barrier that's between man and woman, between Jew and Samaritan, right? He, he reaches across that barrier. Okay, so uh, verse eight, uh, verse nine, sorry. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For, Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, right? So she's even shocked. She's impressed. She's like, okay, well, now, now I have a little bit of trust. I'll open a conversation with you. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, we'll go ahead and read the woman's response as well. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you getting that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock, right? So Jesus now does something that catches the woman off guard and sparks her interest, right? And in fact, that's the next threshold is moving from a place of disinterest to a place of interest, right? Jesus says something. Jesus, Jesus prompts her interest. She, she wasn't, she, before she was like, okay, I'll talk with you. Before it would have been very taboo for her to open conversation, right? For her to approach him would have been impossible. So he talked to her by asking for water, right? But now, now she's, she's interested in something that he's saying. What, what's the key phrase that, that grabs her attention? What's that hook right there for her? Living water, right? Like he says something about living water and she's like, wait a minute, what is this living water? What are you offering? What's going on here? I want to know more about that, right? Jesus uses phrases and terms that spark interest in the life of the woman at the well, right? So I want you to think a little bit. What are some things, what are some ways that we can, can do things that spark interest in someone? Um, what, what are those things that, that to the outside world spark interest in? There's something different about Christians. Yeah, so we have to live differently in order to, to, for people to notice the difference, right? I really like that. What else? What, what makes Christians different or what could spark curiosity in someone? Yeah, how we make decisions, right? Because we don't make decisions based on our own happiness, based off of what makes us feel good, but we make our decisions based off of obedience to Christ, right? Um, and even the way that we approach the world and talk about the world, right? Um, in, in moments of when the world is going to panic and things are going poorly, Christians have peace and Christians um, have security knowing where they're, where they're put, right? Um, in, in moments of extreme bitterness and hatred between, I don't know, maybe political parties when election season comes up, Christians show love and generosity and charity to those even who believe completely differently than us, right? When disaster strikes and, and there's hurricanes or natural disasters, Christians are often the first ones to run in. And so by doing those things, it builds curiosity of, man, there's something different about Christians, right? Like, like you said, we just are different, you know? Um, but people don't see that if you're, if you're shut up in your home and, and you just don't go out at all. It's that living it out. It's living it out well that sparks interest in people. Uh, but also sharing, right? Jesus here is, is verbally telling her there is living water, right? Jesus is telling her there is this eternal life. And so when, if you're not sharing verbally while you share um, relationally, then you're not following Jesus' example, right? And so I, I want you to be aware that, that using uh, your words as well as your life is both equally important to Jesus. Okay, so continuing on with the story, right? So Jesus now has her, he has her a little hooked. He has her interest, right? He's helped her move from this place of disinterest in the gospel to a place of interest, right? So we'll continue with verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or come to draw again. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you now have five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband what you have said is true, right? 
So this next threshold we're talking about is moving from a place of closed to personal change to open to personal change, right? Because notice the woman. She's interested in the living water. And, and what does she say? She says, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty again, right? She wants what he has. That, that interest is genuine. But then as soon as he says, go get your husband, she's like, well, I don't have a husband, right? So she's still close to that personal aspect of the gospel impacting her. And so while she is curious, while she does have interest in it, while she wants the benefits, she doesn't want to change her personal life. She doesn't want to open up to Jesus and share, well, actually, I don't have a husband because the man I'm with is not my husband, and I've had five husbands before. Jesus, in fact, has to share that he already knows that, right? And we could have a whole sermon about Jesus. You know, this is a great example of Jesus being God, having omniscience, right? Like Jesus knows the woman's whole story before she even shares it with him. Could do a whole sermon on that. I'm sure Brian could go into much more detail about that. But for now, what I want to focus on, she was closed and resistant to that change at first. But what does Jesus do? How does he share with her to, to get her to open, right? He calls out the sin in her life, right? He, he invites her to come in and says, listen, I know that you have brokenness. I know that there is brokenness, but come with me and there is change, right? There is opportunity. And so Jesus doesn't ignore the sin. Jesus doesn't pretend the sin's not there. In fact, he acknowledges it and says, still, come, let's do this, right? Um, and so I think that's very important when we're sharing the gospel is, is not to pretend that sin isn't there or not to pretend that sin isn't real, but even in the reality of sin, offer solution, offer an openness, a path away from that, right? I think a lot of times when we're sharing with friends, we want to not so much highlight their sins because that makes them feel bad. And, and I'm not saying you should call people out on their sins, right? Like, I'm not saying, like, you, you, go to a, you, you go to share the gospel with a friend, and you're like, man, I know this, this, and this. And you, like, list off the checklist of you've been friends for 15 years, and here's all the terrible things you've done, right? Not what I'm saying at all. Uh, but even in sharing the gospel, you need to share that there is escape and freedom from sin, right? Because that's what the gospel is. We can't pretend that the gospel is not related to sin. The gospel doesn't correlate to sin. Sin is the bad news that needs the gospel, good news, right? And so moving from a place of closed to that personal change to a place where they're open to personal change, right? Okay, so moving on a little bit, what does Jesus say next? Um, Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I completely skipped what the woman re replied to him. I'm going to go back to verse 19. I'm sorry that I skipped ahead. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us these things. Jesus said to her, I am who you... I who speak to you am he, right? So we'll pause right there. And this next threshold we're talking about is going from meandering to seeking, right? Or another word for meandering might be wandering to seeking, right? So um, you, you see from this woman's response, right? She says, I perceive you're a prophet, right? She says, yeah, you're right. I, I do have this sin issue going on in my life. I probably do need to change it. You're right. You are a prophet, right? But I don't understand these things. These things are something that I just don't know about. So when God comes, we'll figure it out. Say lovey, right? Um, so, so Jesus takes this woman who's meandering, right? She's wandering. When spiritual things come up, yeah, we'll talk about them. When, when God issues come up, yeah, we'll have a conversation about them. But other than that, like, it's not like I'm seeking out Jesus. Like, it's not like I want to do this, right? So, for example, you might have a friend who's, who, who says something similar. Um, I've had a lot of friends who say this. Uh, like, we'll have a great spiritual conversation. I'll, I'll invite them to church. I'll say, like, man, why don't you come to church? We can continue the conversation. And they're like, oh, no, well, like, this was a fun conversation, but, like, it's not necessarily something I want to keep up, not necessarily something I want to do, right? Um, so how does Jesus address this, right? How does Jesus continue, like, to, to take her from wandering to seeking? Does anybody have any thoughts on how maybe Jesus does this in this passage?
one thing, one thing that stands out to me is Jesus says to her, right? Um, he says, those who worship the Father must worship in spirit and in truth, right? Um, that idea of spirit and truth really stands out to me because that's Jesus making an exclusive truth claim, right? I, I'm, I'm sure you've all heard different people in your life talk about, well, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I connect with God, right, like things are going to go well for me. I'm going to be able to uh, just do, God will love me for who I am, right? But, but God, you have to worship him in spirit, right? And that's what people are trying to do. They're trying to worship him with, with sincerity. I don't doubt the sincerity of anybody who, who tries to worship God through that way. But the key is spirit and truth, right? Um, and we know who truth is by what Jesus says in verse 26. I who speak to you am he, right? So he's sharing that he is the Christ. He is the truth, right? Um, so I think a key part of taking somebody from meandering to this point of seeking is to share that Christ is the only way, right? Christ is the only one who can save. Christ, it's not about your good works. It's not about your efforts. It's about Christ being the only way. Um, and a good way to do that is by exploring who the person of Jesus is, opening your Bible with them, spending time to see, is Jesus trustworthy? Is Jesus somebody I can put my trust in? Reading the gospel together with a lost friend who you're trying to take from meandering to seeking is a really good way of doing that because you put it all in the Bible, right? It's not on your own effort. It's on, not on your own ability to save. It's on the Bible to share who Jesus is and to kind of bring that with them. And so for me, that's a very good way of taking somebody from this place of meandering where they're like, yeah, if a spiritual conversation comes up, we'll talk about it, but I'm not really interested to a place of, okay, well, now you're making exclusive claims. Now you're saying Jesus is the only way. Let's talk about that a little bit more. And so that's a good way to take somebody from meandering to seeking. Does that make sense? Cool. All right, this last one, uh, the threshold is called from lost to following. Um, and here's how the story finishes. So Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he, right, I'm the Christ. His disciples came back, and they were marveled that he was talking with a woman, which, again, right, that's that barrier that he crossed, a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went to the town and to all the people. And she said, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, right? So she goes from this place where she's lost, right? She has all these questions. She's like, man... I don't know who the Christ is. When Christ comes, like, we'll figure out where we can worship, whether it's on the mountain or in the temple, right? She's, she's living this lifestyle that's completely opposite and closed off, where she wants to hide the fact that she had husbands before the current man she lives with. She's not even married to the current man she's with, right? She has all these uh, difficulties and closed off places. But now she goes out and she shares, right? She goes out and becomes an ambassador, right? She, wait, remember what Paul said, you have those who need to hear those who are being sent, and you have God, the sender, right? She went from being a hearer to herself being a sender, to reaching out to her community. Her friends and families all heard the gospel because she went from being the one who heard to being the one who was sent, right? Um, and so Jesus did that by, again, putting her in this place of, I am the Christ, and you even see that in her question, can this be the Christ, right? There's that genuine belief like, hey, I'm going to share this with you guys because, like, I think this is the guy. Like, I think this is the guy we've been waiting for, right? Um, and so moving somebody from that place of loss to following isn't something that happens immediately. That's what we kind of tend to think of as evangelism. And, and don't get me wrong, sharing the gospel is, of, is moving somebody from lost to found, right, from lost to following. But that often doesn't happen the very first moment that you meet somebody. Don't get me wrong, God works miracles, and God can change somebody's heart in that instant, but usually there's a little bit more that goes into it. What I love about the five thresholds, I'm going to share some things I love and then share some things that I don't love about this model. Uh, what I love about it is I think it really opens up a clear path for relationship, right? I think a lot of times we get so focused on I need to share the gospel, present it to them. If they say yes, great, I'll bring them to the church. If they say no, I'll never share the gospel with them again. I mean, it's up to God to take care of them. You know, I did my part. My hands are clean, you know. Um, but that's not exactly how I think Jesus wants us to handle this, right? I think Jesus wants us to build relationships over time. Jesus wants us to continually pour into people's life. Even, even if they reject the gospel on the first go around, maybe they're still at the distrust to trust. Maybe they just need to learn to trust Christians first and then consistently sharing the gospel, consistently living out the gospel. You move them to a place of closed to open. And who knows, maybe they move up to Seattle at that point. Maybe they move to, to Dallas, Texas. I don't know where they're moving. But they move somewhere else, and then some other believer comes along and takes them from that place of open to following, right? 
not everything is about how you share the gospel and how you do it, but maybe you're laying the groundwork for somebody later to reap the, reap the fruit. So that's one thing I do love. And I also love um, two things. One, the story of John. Jesus does this all in one conversation, which, to be clear, Jesus is the master of evangelism, and Jesus is God himself, right? Jesus doesn't need someone to be sent. He is the one sending, right? Um, but I do love two things. One, Jesus shows us that this entire five thresholds process can happen in one conversation, right? It is possible for someone to be extremely distrusting of Christians, and then you start talking with them, and in one conversation, they become a follower of Jesus right there. That is entirely possible. But in my personal experience, that's very miraculous, you know, and that, that can happen. But more often than not, this is a long process that takes, if somebody has deep distrust of Christians, if they've been personally injured by the church, getting them to that place of trust might be a long process. And who knows, once they start trusting Christians, maybe the next barriers, maybe the next thresholds will come very quickly after that. But it's all in God's timing. And so I want you to be encouraged by, by the knowledge. It doesn't have to be all one conversation like Jesus did it. Sometimes it can take more time, and that's okay, right? So that's one thing I love about this model. Uh, what's difficult about this model is that it's not a nice, neat little package that everybody fits into, Right? Um, I don't want you to now go out and, and force every friend you have into one of these tiny boxes of like, okay, well, this friend is in a place of distrust. This friend is a place of being closed. This friend is in a place of meandering, right? Because not everybody's going to fit into those neat little boxes. Sometimes people are going to be stuck between a step where they're interested, kind of, but then they're also kind of closed. And so maybe they're at step 2.5, right? Instead of threshold number two or three, maybe they're at 2.5, right? And it takes a little bit more time. Um, and I think that is where um, I kind of want to go on from here is that you need to listen very well and know where your friends are very well. This is a loose model, not an absolute. And so I really want you to, to think of your lost friends in your life as actual genuine people, not projects, not people who you need to work on or you need to work with um, but actual people who need a loving relationship with God. I think a lot of times when we talk about evangelism, we think very theoretically. We think like, oh, man, this is what I would do if this such and such person comes. And I don't know about you guys, but maybe uh, I've, I've often thought about evangelism, and I have this, like, really angry atheist who's, like, going to ask me all these questions. And I'm like, man, how would I answer that question? And, like, start thinking all these theoreticals. And then, but you actually start talking with people, and 90% of the time, it's not these super angry questions people have. It's real, genuine, personal questions people have, right? Like, why did God let my dad die? And you're like, man, I was ready to, like, argue somebody about evolution. I was not ready to, like, why did God let my dad die when I was three years old? I'm like, man, that, that, that is more personal. That person is a real person, not just a project, not just a theoretical concept that I made. And so taking time to slow down and do that. And so um, that's why this next section is titled Sharing Effectively, um, and it has the next three little points, because you're sharing effectively with people, right? You're not sharing with projects. You're not sharing with projections of what you think people are like. I want you to genuinely remember that these are people. Um, and so three tips for sharing effectively with people, not projects. Step one, know your field, right? I think God has specifically placed us in places where we can reach people that other members of the body of Christ cannot reach, right? Um, like I said, I work on the college campus, and so I'm able to talk to and interact with college students. But you personally, you work in a different field. My field isn't better just because I'm in full-time ministry and I work with college students. That doesn't make my field any better. If, if there's any like firefighters out in the crowd or engineers or, or lawyers, you're able to go to work every morning and reach fields of work where I'm not able to reach, right? If you have uh, friends that you're with, maybe you're part of a part of a bird watching club or, or you have some sort of walking group that you go walking with, you have a field of reaching that I could never reach, right? And so I want each of you to start thinking about what is the field where God has placed me. Um, and these next three verses that I have here, I kind of talk about that concept of being placed, right? Um, and so from Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, this is Paul speaking, right? From one man he made all nations that they might inhabit the whole earth. All right, so this, this is Paul talking about God. God made Adam, and everybody came from Adam, right? And they, they filled the earth. And he, talking about God, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, right? The part that I want to highlight there is two things. One, God appointed their times in history and the boundaries of their land. 
think about that for a minute. God created you for this very specific time and put you in this very specific place. He set the boundaries of your life, right? I do not believe God just randomly threw us out into the world and said, here you go, go have fun, go live your life, right? Uh, and it goes back to what the one thing is, Jesus has strategically placed me. When Jesus made you, when he made your interests, when he made your passions, when he, when he put you on your career path, he just didn't do it randomly. I think he strategically did it to build up his kingdom, right? I, I don't want you to, when you go to work on Monday or when you go to hang out with your, your PTA friends or, or whoever you're hanging out with, I don't want you to think of this as like, oh, well, like this has nothing to do with my spirituality. This has nothing to do with evangelism. My, my Jesus time is on Sunday and then the rest of it is fine. I think God has specifically made you and strategically placed you to reach out and build his kingdom. And that makes you special and that makes you a part of God's plan. And, and there's great value in that. And I want you to take that away and think, man, God has specifically placed me in this time and in this place for his kingdom's sake, right? You are indispensable. You're not, you're not just an, another run-of-the-mill person on the world. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. You've been strategically placed, and I want you to take that away. And if you don't believe me from what I read from Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 uh, talks about this as well. Uh, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, right? If we're all one body of Christ, right, we, we're all individual members of the body. Sure, somebody might be an ear, somebody might be a big toe, right? None of them have been placed randomly. None of them have been placed uh, thoughtlessly, right? God has put them all exactly where they want. To, God, God has put them all exactly where he wants them to be, right? And if we're looking at our church, this is the body of Christ. God has placed every single one of you in the specific place where he wants you to be, right? And so there's purpose and there's reason behind where you are. Uh, one last verse, and then we'll move on from this, but uh, in Esther 4.14, uh, this is a very famous verse, probably the most famous verse from the book of Esther. Um, this is uh, the uncle Mordecai speaking to Esther. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise in another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for a time such as this. Right? I love this right here. This last little actually slide right here. This is perfect. that We stopped the verse right here. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for a time such as this. Here Mordecai is directly tying her, I guess you could call this job. Does being a queen count as a job? I don't know. It's not much of a job, right? It's a pretty, pretty relaxed luxury job. Um, but your royal position, your place where he has put you, and you could put in whatever other career focus you want here. Who knows but you have come to your engineering position for a time such as this. Who knows but that you've come to your legal position for a time such as this. Or who knows that you came to your walking group that you go on every Sunday night for a time such as this, right? Your groups, your fields where God has put you are the specific places where he has strategically put you to build his kingdom. And there's great value in that. Um, for me, when I'm speaking to uh, college students and I'm training them on how to share the gospel, a lot of it is just awareness of where God has put them. Um, and so there's really, I've seen consistently four different fields, right? It says know your field. There's four different consistent fields I've seen pop up, um, and I just wanted to share that with you. The first one is friends, right? Who are your people you're friends with, right? That's one field that God has put you in. Uh, field number two, who's your family that God has put you with, right? Um, I, I know everybody here probably has somebody in their family who's lost, right? Even if you come from a very religious background, there's always somebody in your family who needs to be brought back into the fold. Uh, field number three, what's your community, right? Your, your neighborhood, your interests, your hobbies, right? Your, your people that you um, share passions with, right? Um, for, for a lot of times for a community that is um, going to be, for my college students, that's like their dorm where they're living or maybe they're part of a social club, right? So where are the communities God has put you in? Um, and then finally, uh, what is your work or profession where God has put you, right? Um, and for a lot of my college students, that's not necessarily actual work, although a lot of them do work jobs while they're in college, but that can look like the classroom that they go to because being a full-time student is their royal position that we were talking about, right? Your student position. Every day when you go to class, every day when you uh, show up to study, right? How are you using that to glorify God? And so those are good ways to start thinking about it, but I'm not limiting, limiting it to four fields, right? If you can think of a fifth field, maybe where God has put you geographically, you can put the city of Eugene, um, that could be a fifth field. You can think of field six, seven, eight. There's any number of fields where God has put you, right? But be thinking, where has God put me? Why has God put me there? And, and how can I strategically reach who God has put me here to reach? Does that make sense? We're tracking? Awesome. Uh, point number two, listen well, right? 
Uh, effective sharing needs to know, uh, people need to know, I'm sorry, I'm butchering this. <laughs> uh, if we're going to listen well, we need to listen. We're, if we're going to share effectively, we need to listen well. I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied up here. <laughs> We'll try this again. Uh, there's a really famous quote in evangelism, and if you talk to a lot of people who evangelize well, this is a quote that comes up a lot. Um, it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, I know uh, a lot of good arguments uh, for Christianity. I know a lot of good apologetics and, and effective uh, debates you could have, right? I've never debated anybody to Christ. I've never debated somebody to the point where they're like, man, you know what? I guess you're right. I guess I just have to become a Christian because you effectively prove to me that God is real, right? People do have genuine questions and people do have genuine doubts and you need to be there to answer those questions. But again, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and, and that's what those five thresholds are about, right? When I consider the five thresholds, when I consider that pre-evangelism, that's a good way of caring about somebody and, and genuinely meeting them where they're at, right? You can't meet them where they're at if you don't know where they're at, right? I mean, so with the knowing, listening well, right? Listen to where people are. Listen to where people are coming from. Listen to, hey, here's the hurt that I have with God. Here's the doubt that I have with God. Here's the anger that I have with God. And when you listen well to what they're saying and when you love them well in that way, man, that's going to be so much more effective than hey, here's all the theoretical reasons why we know God created the world, or here's all the archaeological reasons we know the Bible's reliable. Don't get me wrong, those are very important issues to me, and those are things that I care passionately about, but those things have never brought someone to Christ. It's the love of God and the gospel lived out and the gospel preached out that brings people to Christ, right? Um, a good way of sharing this, uh, a good way uh, of keeping this in mind, is that anytime I go to meet with somebody, um, I want to make sure I'm respectful of them. And so there's something that I really dislike called ninja evangelism, right? Uh, it's this sneaky kind of like pop out behind a corner and evangelize to them. So like I could say to somebody, hey, Sarah Grace, you know, like, let's go get coffee. We've been friends for all. Let's just go get coffee and talk. And, you know, she's like, okay, yeah, we're going to go get coffee. We're going to hang out, have fun. We go get coffee. And then all of a sudden I pull out my Bible. I'm like, okay, we're going to have a Bible study now. Let's read from John chapter one, right? Like, I think people dislike that because you're being disingenuous. You're, you're kind of tricking them into Christianity. You're tricking them by evangelizing, right? Um, but there's something we like to do called gospel appointments that works really well, where this can work with somebody you just brand new met. This can work with somebody you've been friends with for a while. But if you've been friends with somebody for a while, you can say, you know, I'm going to keep picking on my wife here. <laughs> you know, Sarah Grace, we've been friends for a long time. Um, you know, we, we've hung out together. We, we work in the cubicle next to each other. But I don't think I've ever taken the time to know what you believe about spirituality. I'd love to just have a cup of coffee and hear your story, hear your take on what spirituality looks like and the place of spirituality in your life. And so you give them an opportunity to share and you give them an opportunity to talk. And that's a really good way of opening that conversation, just saying, man, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, right? Um, because, of course, when they're sharing their thoughts, you have a chance to say, well, that's very interesting. Here's how I think about it, and then share the gospel. Um, a good model for that that we use is uh, their story, your story, God's story, right? Because you listen to somebody's story, you listen well to what they're saying, and you say, okay, well, that was, that was great. I loved what you're saying. Here's my story, right? Here's how God changed and impacted me. And, of course, your story is going to be sharing how God changed and impacted you. And so listening to their story, your story, and God's story is a great way to make sure you're not treating them as projects, but actually taking time to listen to them and care for them. Uh, and finally, when you are sharing God's story, the last bullet point here is keep the message clear, right? I think a lot of times with Christianity, with evangelism, we get caught up in a lot of the side issues, right? Uh, a lot of times we don't necessarily want to convert people to Christianity. We want to convert people to um, I don't know, whatever political party you might be a part of, or you want to convert people to uh, young earth creationism, or you want to convert somebody to uh, being specifically a Baptist, right? Like, and we get caught up on these little side tangential issues that are not the gospel, right? These are, these are issues that are important to talk about, but they're not the gospel. Um, and so kind of to help keep, keep the gospel clear, um, I have something called one verse evangelism, uh, which is based on Romans uh, 6.23. Um, this is something called the bridge method of sharing. Has anybody seen this before? Raise your hand if you've seen this before. So this is a very clear way of sharing the gospel. I just want to share this with you. This will be the last thing we do, um, and then uh, we'll close it out. But this is what I think the gospel boils down to in one verse, which is really incredible that we have one verse where we can share the entire gospel, right? But the verse says, it's from Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I love to write this verse out and then ask them, and it's kind of circled for you guys, so you guys kind of have a little bit of a cheat. <laughs> but I, I like to ask them, okay, uh, what are the most important words that you see in the first, first half of the, of the verse, right? For the wages of sin is death, what are the three most important words you see? And of course the answer is... Right, wages, sin, and death. Those are the words that pop out. And so on the left-hand side, I like to draw like a little cliff, a little canyon, if you will, and write wages, sin, and death, and then put a little man on top. And I say, okay, well, if that's the most important part of the first half, uh, this next little sentence, right, the free gift of God is eternal life, what, what are the three most important words that stick out there? That's so good. You guys are killing this, right? <laughs> and so you draw another little canyon, and you can draw God, you can write God, I don't know how you want to represent God, however you want to do this, right? And you put this canyon here, and I haven't drawn the cross yet, right? That's not there yet. Um, but I like, to, I like to give the analogy of trying to jump across, right? This, this, imagine the Grand Canyon, if anybody's been to the Grand Canyon or seen pictures of it, right? Maybe I can jump a certain distance across, right? Maybe somebody who is a professional football player, you know, has a little bit more leg muscle than I do, is able to jump even further than, than I am, right? Maybe a small child who uh, isn't as, as mature as I am is able to jump less than I am, right? I don't think that the measure of success is by this child's able to jump a little bit, but I jump more than him. Oh, but this athlete jumped the most, so I guess the athlete wins. Like, you're still falling down the canyon. You know, that's still a problem. I don't care how athletic you are. Like, if you're trying to jump across the canyon on your own, it doesn't matter if you make it farther than me. We're ending up at the bottom together, Right? Um, and so that's what our own efforts to reach God is like, right? Um, you try to jump across the canyon on your own, but you're unable to. Why is that? Because we're weighed back by sin, right? Um, we have this wage. We have this just payment for sin. The bad actions that we do is death, right? It's the thing that weighs us down and brings us straight into the canyon and makes us unable to go to God. But God, in his love, gives us a gift, right? A gift, what's a gift? A gift is something that's not earned, Right? If a wage is something that you earn for the work you do, a gift is something that you get regardless of what you've done, right? The wage of sin, sin is the bad things that we do. Who is this gift coming from? It's coming from God himself, right? It's able to cancel out that sin. And if we're sentenced to death because of our sin, God offers us eternal life, a way out of that death, right? But the way to get across, the way to get from this side of the canyon to that side of the canyon is, I mean, it's up there on the board, how do we get from one side to the other? Jesus Christ, right? You put your faith, put your belief in Jesus Christ, and that gets you across the canyon. And so in one verse, you've effectively shared the gospel without getting political, without talking about environmental justice, without um, getting into all of these other uh, weeds and brambles that are important to talk about, but not when sharing the gospel, right? It keeps the message clear to have this one verse here um, where you can just keep Jesus at the center of it all. Um, and so I want you to, as you go home today, think about where has God put me strategically? Where are the places where God wants me to share? And how can I share the message in a clear, effective way that, that connects and resonates with others? So that's all I have to say today. I hope this has been pretty useful for you guys. I hope you're able to take this and apply it. Um, here at Harvest, we like to close with two prayers. Uh, the per first one is a prayer of salvation. If this is a message that you've never heard before, if you never knew that the gospel is about getting from one side of the cliff to the other side of the cliff, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I just want to take some time to, to pray and, and offer up that opportunity to put your faith in Christ, right? Um, and so if you would go ahead and bow your heads um, and pray with me, we'll pray that. Uh, King Jesus, uh, we just want to come before you today and recognize that we're all sinners. Um, even I, uh, being a believer, uh, still sin and still am unable to get to the other side of the cliff on my own. Uh, but King Jesus, I recognize that, that you lived a perfect life. You died to pay the wage of my sin. The punishment for my sin is totally paid by you. And now you offer me eternal life. And so, Jesus, I'm going I'm to stop trying to jump across the cliff on my own. I'm going to stop relying on my own works. I'm going to stop relying on my own righteousness. But instead, Jesus, I'm going to trust entirely on you and in your completed work on the cross. Um, Jesus, change my life, transform me, and, and give me the righteousness that you have. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just like that, just by putting your faith in Jesus, you've crossed over from one side of the cliff to the other. It's not about whether you come to church on Sunday. It's not about whether you get up to the point where you're talking in front of people 
right? This isn't the part that saves me. When, when I talk about what gets me from one side to the other, it's not because I read my Bible any, every day. It's not because I've been baptized. None of that is what gets me from one side to the other. It's all on the completed work of Christ on the cross. Now, if you uh, are already a Christian, or even if you just became a Christian, right, uh, we have a second prayer that we do here at Harvest, the prayer of discipleship, right? And this is application of what we have read, what we've learned, and what was preached today. Um, and so if you uh, want to help apply that to your life, go ahead and join me in prayer. Uh, King Jesus, Lord, I know that you have strategically placed me in the field for your purpose and for your glory. Um, God, I want to be an image bearer of you, and I want to represent you well to the world. Um, and so, God, would you help me to see the field where you've placed me, make me aware of the people you've put in my life. Help me to listen well and to keep your message clear. Um, God, uh, as I look to the fields around me, help me be aware uh, where there's work of pre-evangelism that needs to happen. Make me aware of when people need help crossing from one threshold into another. Um, God, I recognize that it's not by my own work, it's not by my own actions that, that people come to you. It's entirely um, by your Holy Spirit changing their hearts. Um, but Lord, make me an effective witness and make me um, just bold in sharing my testimony. Christ, I, I pray that you would uh, just do a continual work of, of stirring up boldness and urgency to share with others in you. Um, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing to, to let me be a part of your strategic work and not just um, being unspecial or unimportant. But God, thank you for including me, even though you don't need me. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for um, hearing me out, talking and communicating with me. I know uh, um, it's a little bit awkward sometimes to have some crowd participation, but thank you guys so much for humoring me on that. Um, but now, uh, to close us out, uh, we have Rachel yeah. leading the worship Yeah, song. thanks, Lauren. Thanks for sharing. Yep. And uh, last time Lauren spoke, he shared a little bit more about the ministry that he's doing at the U of O, and he shared us to be praying for the ministry. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. Set a reminder on your phone. And the time was 2.23 because 2% of the campus is Christian. And then 23 is that number of people? 23,000 students. 23,000 2%, 2.23. And he reminded us, 2.23 p.m. Guess what time my alarm went off that next day? 2.23 a.m. <laughs> I woke up and I was like, Warren warned me about this. So put it on your phone, pray for them. They're doing great work there. And we're excited to be able to walk with them in that. And thanks for encouraging us in how we can do that in our lives.